is Lemieux. The center penalty coming up. Look at Lemieux. Oh, my heavens. What a goal. What a move. Lemieux. Oh, baby. There's a mistake and a throw. Puck by Bridget. fans and welcome to another episode of talking hockey the hockey talking show this is season three episode 26 an episode that we're calling the naslin after our uh, little swedish viking friend matt's naslin i am co-host tom and i've got with me as always co-host randy and uh, today it looks like randy's um just finished a bag skate i don't know if coach was punishing him or what's going on there but uh randy how you doing today buddy doing pretty good and yeah you know uh bag skate going on I, our season's been over for like six months but uh <laughs> coach coach just added him to put the pucks away and, and skate as hard so unfortunately that's the way she goes here in the off season yeah yeah for sure i mean when you don't get the results you're looking for uh you know coach is gonna come come down hard on you and if he's not seeing that 110 percent effort but i'm I, like i i've known you to be a 110 kind of guy so uh maybe coach just gotta lay off a bit i don't know um but anyway um we got a pretty good show today randy uh uh a nice little guest coming up in the episode a little later so listeners stay tuned for that the guest of course is winnipeg based um writer reporter and beer league enthusiast sheldon bernie uh i had to think for a second about the three the order the the order of the of the little bio there um but yeah like i'd say he's even more than a beer league enthusiast i'd say he's a beer league legend around these parts Um, and and from the neighborhood too like from from this part of the city that's right yeah he he pretty much lives halfway between where i am and where you are Split the distance and yeah. we'll just meet at Sheldon's we'll house. Meet in his backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that the restrictions are loosening up here. So, uh, I mean, uh, compared to maybe some other parts of the country, not too loose, but, you know, anyway, that's besides the point. So on today's program, before we get to our conversation with Sheldon, which is a really, really good one, he's a, a very well-spoken, thoughtful guy. And um, we, we talk about all things beer league. We talk about some hockey cards. We talk about sort of his desert island uh, hockey literature picks, if you will. Um, but before we get to all that, we're going to talk about some number 26s because that is uh, and we're going to talk maybe some. Uh, I don't want to call them conference finals because they're not really conference finals this year in the NHL, but some final four, we'll call it. So, um Let's start off with the guy that the show is named after, Mats Nasland. Uh, he was nicknamed Le Petit Viking because um, he played in Montreal, right? So in the through the '80s, um, didn't didn't uh, you know basically the entire '80s, but 
he didn't have a super long NHL career. Like he only played 650 games in the NHL, but it wasn't, I don't think it was because of injury or anything. I think he just, he like played in the Swedish elite league before and after his NHL career. So, you know, he, for whatever reasons wanted to be playing back home, but he had a really nice NHL career for Montreal, which included a Stanley cup in 1986 and another trip to the finals in 89. But of course they lost to the flames that year and Lanny, uh, Lanny McDonald's glorious mustache. But, but what are a couple things that you know about uh, Matt Snazland, like off the top of your head, like what jumps out for you? Well, mainly um, if you're thinking about hockey in the eighties, uh, there wasn't a lot of small players back then. And right. if you if you look at his uh, height and weight, he was five seven, one sixty. Um, you know, back then, you know, he was quite tiny, uh, and there weren't a lot of guys like that. You know, there's him, and there was like uh, Theo Fleury and yeah. Cl- Cliff Ronning and guys like that. But um, and Not for the but but for the longest time, it was like if you weren't six two and two hundred pounds, uh, a lot of teams didn't even look at you. So the fact yeah. that he was so small and had a, had a pretty successful career, scored a lot of goals, uh, got a lot of points. Um, yeah. That's main, the main thing I think about Matt Naslund and obviously his helmet. The helmet, is, exactly. Is something, is something that uh, is very unique to, to Mr. Naslund. But actually yeah, one, thing I just, one thing I just learned is uh, he played for the Bruins. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. No, me neither. I, I must have just tuned that out because I was such a Montreal fan back in the day. But yeah, he came back after a couple of years in the Swedish League, played 34 games with the Bruins to kind of close out his NHL career. But yeah, that, that, that Jofa bucket that he rocked was um, pretty legendary. And he also had a visor on it for, for uh, I seem to remember mostly ha- him having a visor on it, which in the 80s that was a rare sight yeah, you know you didn't see too many of those um and then and then of course the the torspo hockey stick that must be a a swedish like he must have been the swedish spokesman actually torspo was made in finland so well, i don't maybe, know yeah maybe he uh co-owned the company or something <laughs> i just i just <laughs> sent you a sweet picture of him wearing a torspo helmet oh yeah yeah <laughs> And it looks like maybe a turtleneck there with a a zipper turtleneck. That's pretty cool. So (laughs) a a style icon, Mr. Nasland was. So he was the number 26 and was one of my favorite players when I was a kid. I I loved the Habs when I was little. Um, And 26, I think the reason I was so drawn to Nasland, aside from the fact that he was a really good hockey player, he scored 110 points one year and he kind of finished his career with almost as many points as he played games. But um, my birthday falls on the 26th. And I think that is probably why I was pretty drawn to him as a kid. But yeah, like, um, you know, he was he was a, a real, I guess you would call gentleman on the ice, like rarely, rarely saw the inside of the penalty box and uh, scored a lot of points. He made some all star appearances. Actually, in the 88 all star game, he had five assists, which was a record. And uh, it might have been broken by now. I don't know. But that um, he was setting up Mario the whole time. Mario, oh, yeah. that game was six points. And that was uh, little Matt Snazlin. And, um, 
if you're wondering, he is not related to Marcus Naslin. So I guess Naslin must be like the uh, Smith of Sweden or something. (laughs) But uh, there's some other 26s we'd like to give honorable mentions to. So let's start that list here. We've got both Peter and Paul Stasny. Paul now wears 25 for the Jets, but wore 26 on other uh, teams. And his dad, Peter, of course, wore 26. Uh, Another diminutive player but big numbers marty st louis a hall of famer there heck of a player um i think that guy was undrafted and you know just do you remember that little tidbit i threw in our whatsapp a couple weeks ago how mr craig button was the guy who put marty st louis on waivers so (laughs) so maybe that's why mr button is working over for tsn these days yeah Hasn't found a job over uh, in the in the in the big leagues, but uh, but yeah, that's a that's a Marty St. Louis uh, deep uh, deep, deep fact. Dive yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh man, what a what a move by Button. Uh, Patrick Eliash, longtime New Jersey Devil, wore number twenty six. Uh, he he was he's a Czech player, and you know played represented his country there like every time the Czechs were ever in the Olympics or world championships or anything. Eliash was there and one of their best players from that country for sure. Um, our captain, oh, fearless captain, Blake Wheeler of the Winnipeg Jets, of course, wears number 26. Um, and how about a TV analyst or is he a former TV analyst? I don't know. Mike Milbury? famously beat up a guy with his shoe or something one time yeah i think he's likely (laughs) off the air for nbc maybe due to something he said last year but right i seem to vaguely remember that yeah yeah Yeah. and so yeah and they brought in babcock instead or something or to replace him i should say yeah yeah um brian prop he was a uh i i remember him as a longtime philadelphia flyer that guy wore number 26 thomas vanek um an Austrian he could score like uh, Uh, nobody's business yeah and but very like um like he was traded a lot and kind of had some ups and downs but yeah he could light the lamp and uh Vanek wore 26 and then um one last guy we'll mention for a sec is the uh one half of the Bruce brothers that would be Joey Koser he was uh you know him and Bob Probert made up the 1990s, uh, late 80s kind of Detroit Red Wings uh, hit squad, if you will. Um, yeah, Joey Koser's, excuse me, one of the most penalized players in NHL history. Of course, Tiger Williams, who we might well, tease for later in the show. Tiger Williams is the all-time NHL uh, penalty minute leader, but Joey Koser's right up there, finished his career with... 2,519 penalty minutes. Uh, not too bad. <laughs> so. Be- before we move on, though, I just want to finish off a couple little tidbits here about Mr. Button. So For sure, for next, sure. Next time all of you are watching TSN coverage and you got Mr. Button, you know, chirping in who he thinks is going to be a top prospect. <laughs> Let's just see how he, he dealt with some of these prospects back in the, in the early 2000s. <laughs> So during his tenure of GM of the, of the Calgary Flames, Button put and lost future Hall of Famer Marty St. Louis on waivers. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, that's he, a burn. He, he traded future Conn Smythe winner 
J.S. Jaguar to Anaheim mm. Ducks for a Oops. second round pick <laughs> in, order to, in order to protect Freddie Brathwaite. So that's kind of uh, unfortunate. Oh, would that be like a uh, expansion draft or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he wanted to protect Brathwaite in the expansion draft, so he traded Jaguar. Jiggy. Uh, Halifax uh, Moosehead legend. And then his last uh, notoriously uh, bad move is he traded assist king Mark Savard hmm. to the Atlanta Thrashers for Ruslan Zanulian. So, <laughs> oh, I, I would thought you were going to say Fedotenko when you said Ruslan, but no, no. So, not unfortunately. <laughs> Three strikes and you're out, Mr. Button. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so speaking of that uh, draft ex- uh, expansion draft move of trading Brathwaite, or sorry, trading Jaguar to protect Brathwaite, you know, um, that, that kind of reminds me. So the upcoming um, expansion draft for Seattle, that'll be an interesting storyline for this summer for every team. But let's take a moment to reflect on the Winnipeg Jets here. Um, The expansion draft when Vegas came in. So the Jets wanted to, they, they asked Toby Instrum to to waive his no move clause and that, but they wanted to keep him. So they traded a first round pick to Vegas in order to keep Enstrom. Um, with that draft pick, Vegas selected Nick Suzuki, yeah. who they traded to Montreal for Max Pacioretty. Suzuki, meanwhile, develops into a nice little player in Montreal and totally just burned the Jets in the playoffs second round just now. And meanwhile, Vegas chose Thorburn, traded him to St. Louis for a draft pick. And Thorburn wins a cup with the Blues in 2019. So, and to finish that, the Jets ended up drafting Christian Veselainen that year instead of what well, could have been Suzuki. Maybe, yeah. And so, if you look at you know if the Jets would have been up, you know, also Vegas that year they drafted Cody Glass. Kale McCarr mm. was drafted that year. Mm. Um, yeah, it it was a decent draft. You know, I guess Veselainen could still come around, but, uh, but still, he's only 21 or something. And yeah, but yeah, I think the lesson learned there is uh, don't deal a first round draft pick to the expansion team in order to protect a guy like I mean, no offense to Toby Enstrom had a nice career, but like he was at the tail end of his career, and I think you know like it he'd play one more year for the jets or something. And then he was done. And it's like, anyway, so (laughs) was it worth it? Chevy? Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Exactly. So, but, uh, you know, that said the, the Vegas golden Knights are it going into the second round here or sorry, the third round, the, the final four, and they're taking on the Montreal Canadiens, Matt's Naslin's very own Montreal Canadiens. Um, what do you make of the final four and the other side, you got Tampa and New York Islanders. Like what do you, what do you see sort of happening here? Well, that, the, that, I guess you could call it the East, um, is kind of a repeat of last year. Mm -hmm. Um, honestly, I have, I haven't watched the Islanders very much. I watched a little bit against Pittsburgh. Uh, I didn't really see any against Boston. 
but they seem to handle Boston quite easily. That was only what five or six games. Went six, six games, and they were there were some good games. They were, but the Islanders in games five and six, I think it was they, they just uh, you know took it to the hoop. I just think Tampa Bay. And we joked about this in our conversation, I think, with with Sheldon, is that, you know, when you're 17 million bucks over the cap, like, <laughs> no wonder you're going to have a... You better win. <laughs> yeah, you better win. Uh, you know, Kucherov just slides right in and he's, like, you know, scoring at will. Braden Point, Stamkos, Sorelli, Hedman, Sergachev, Vasilevsky, uh, Tyler Johnson, you name it. Like, they're stacked. Pat Maroon. Um, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I, I still think my, you know, if I was putting money on anything, I'd still put it on Tampa. They just, yeah. they just look good. The, you know, uh, when they won you, it last year, it looks like, you know, they're having, uh, quite, you know, it's been quite easy. Like, you know, that first series against, uh, Florida, um, you know, was a grinder. Everyone thought that Florida was going to win, I guess, so like it was, or it was going to be a big battle. But and then you know uh, Tampa Bay kind of had you know relative ease against Carolina. So yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And they're just so like, they're I like I like watching them. They're all good. Braden Point yeah. is such a well, they're, they're player. tons of playoff experience, highly skilled team, good coach, excellent goaltender. It's kind of hard to see how they're not going to repeat. You know, that said, the Islanders aren't going to be an easy pushover. They're well coached as well. They've got good goaltending. They play a tight defensive system. Yeah, they'll come and, in with uh, a good plan. Kyle Palmieri, hello. He's been just, you know, uh, scoring goals uh, left left and right here in the playoffs. So, you know, like the and, – and, you know, you got to like Bailey. And I think the Islanders are a really good team. I think they have a shot. I don't know that they're going to end up on the right side of this series – but in the other series, Vegas and Montreal, do you see any way that Montreal can beat Vegas? I mean, everybody's, and by everybody, I mean, I don't know, just social media or whatever. They kind of be seeming to say, like, Vegas is going to win in four or five, you know. But, hey, like, Montreal's been kind of the underdog in every series so far. So is, is it possible that Montreal can pull off the upset here? Well, for sure. Like, they got Carey Price in that. Um, but... I'm I'm kind of more surprised that Vegas won. I was expecting mm. Colorado to kind of steamroll all the way to the finals and and play against Tampa Bay. Um, so if Vegas can knock off a team like Colorado that seemed to have everything together, um, you know maybe this is unfortunately the year Vegas wins the cup. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean they <laughs> lost the first two games to Colorado and then essentially swept them, right? One, yeah. four straight. And uh, the, like, this is their fourth year in the league and their third time to the final four. So it's pretty wild. Like they, they just, you know, they're stacked and they find a way to get it done. They got a, a great mix of players. They got a heck of a goalie and Mark, Mark Andre Fleury and, and if he gets falter, hurt, yeah, they got Robin Lehner waiting yeah. in the wings, who's uh, not too shabby himself. So um, it'll be super interesting. I think, uh, you know, I'm rooting for Montreal to pull off the upset. I'd love to see the Habs go back to the final. Why not? Right. Um, how bananas the city of Montreal was going when they beat the Jets, you know, because it was like their their sort of lockdown ended. 
They've got like close to 80% of the city is vaccinated, you know, first dose. They only had like 60 cases in the whole city of which is like 3 million people, you know, so they're doing pretty good there and they're partying and loving life and the Habs are giving them a good show. So that'll be fun to see if they can uh, pull it off against Vegas. But um, speaking of hockey towns like Montreal is, we got a bit of a tune to get to here before our guest comes yeah sheldon's waiting in the wings there and um so yeah this is a song that sheldon has uh, recommended to us and it's called hockey town by a guy named tim huss and uh sheldon will tell you all about tim huss a little later but essentially tim huss is uh stomping tom's uh stunt double or whatever you know he's uh protege or <laughs> yeah protege yeah. whatever you want to call it exactly so um, yeah, so here's uh, Tim Huss with his, a little ditty called Hockey Town. My hometown is a hockey town Out on the edge with nothing around The newspaper didn't have any news The Greyhound bus rolled on through The center of town was a corrugated iron arena In all of my school days I didn't learn quick Thinking of the best way to tape my stick And how to score them goals like Gordy Howe Bite of the cold air on my face Frozen fingers as I tie the laces Hockey's in my blood Hockey's my own true love I could hardly wait for Saturday I spend all day in a pickup game Arrive early and I go home late I dig my dreaming in my hockey skates Wayne Gretzky and Bobby Orr Were the pictures on my bedroom door Hockey cards by the crate I dig my dreaming in my hockey skates and frozen ponds backyard rinks we played them all come on and throw your sticks in the middle bring along a snow shovel let's clear the ice and let's call it the forum minor leagues down in the trenches a high stick in 17 stitches cross my fingers the scouts get a look at me sitting on a bench brings made of tears foster hewitt in my ears i can already hear the roar he shoots he scores i could hardly wait for saturday i spend all day in a pickup game arrive early and i go home late i did my dreaming in my hockey skates wayne gretzky and bobby or were the pictures on my bedroom door hockey cards by the crate I did my dreaming in my hockey skates. Everybody at home is gonna see me on hockey night on the CBC. Don Cherry and Ron McLean, the players and the Hall of Fame, and all them Sutter boys from Mountain Viking. I thought one day I'd really go far To climb aboard the CPR And a ride all the way down to Maple Leaf Gardens Way out there at center ice I'll hold the Stanley Cup up high Like I already did in my mind a thousand times When I could hardly wait for Saturday I'll spend all day in a pickup game Arrive early and I go home late 
did my dreaming in my hockey skates. Wayne Gretzky and Bobby Orr were the pictures on my bedroom door. Hockey cards by the crate. I did my dreaming in my hockey skates. And thank you for joining us today, Sheldon. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here on Talking Hockey, the Hockey Talking Show. Uh, yeah, how, how's it going today? Uh, the pleasure is all mine, uh, fellas. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Doing well, uh, you know, keeping trying to keep my sanity with uh, two children under six years old at home, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's something. <laughs> yeah, work working from home, I assume, and all that. I'm actually on a temporary leave right now because oh, okay. I could no longer juggle uh, my job <laughs> and the kids, and my wife's job takes a lot of her time, so yeah. just, uh, unable to to kind of shoulder that without us losing a lot of money. Nice. So, uh, so I took yeah. the leave, uh, hopefully just till the end of the month. And right on. Well, we'll that, that's there. something we'll call hashtag way she goes. That's uh, the way she goes. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. So, uh, Sheldon, yeah. Like, um, you know, for the, for the listeners at home and, uh, and everyone else there we're, we'll, we'll just give you the, the brief intro, the rundown here, Sheldon Bernie, uh, when I was going to say local, but uh, some people aren't maybe listening in a local area, Winnipeg here, but uh, Winnipeg based author, uh, musician, uh, beer league hockey manager. What else, what am I missing here? Like uh, what else? Uh, you're a yeah, jack of many trades. Yeah. Writer, reporter, beer league hockey enthusiast is what I'll tag myself as uh, typically when asked for a quick bio, father of two, yeah. husband of uh, uh, Clara. And uh, that's about all. There's about all I do. That's it for these days. <laughs> that's enough to keep a guy busy yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess uh, why don't we start off talking about the uh, beer league enthusiast uh, manager of of the dread. I was good. Well, the dreaded lumbercats. <laughs> the the fierce lumbercats. I mean, as Randy and well, I. Well, they're they're a well, they're a well oiled machine. Oh, like they they are. That's yeah. If you're, all cylinders. if you're looking for a model of a beer league team, look no further than the lumbercats. I guess. Eh? So, tell us how did that how did how did the cats start up and have you been well, there since the beginning or no? Uh, I joined the team in 2011. Uh, and, uh, I'd say the core of the team as it is now was involved at that point, but there were a number of other guys who kind of drifted away and I couldn't tell you exactly how it started. I believe it started kind of as a, uh, in a, either an intramural or just a rec team through the U of M for some of the guys who okay. grew up in Southwest Manitoba and ended up at the university of Manitoba in the you know early two thousands, mid two thousands. I don't know how consistent it went, but it started uh, at Dakota League. I'd say you know at least at least ten years ago. I joined ten years ago, and it had been going for a couple of years uh, out of that location at that time. And uh, I've been with it since uh, the team. I'd say 2014, 15, or 13, 14, somewhere around there, uh, was in, in jeopardy of folding. Uh, we had about six or seven guys who would show up. Uh, and a goalie who quit at the end of the season. 
we would, you know, you had seven guys on the bench every night and you'd have yeah. a lead through two periods and then get shellacked <laughs> in the third because everyone's fucking tired, right? So run out of gas and yes, uh, we lost a few of the the kind of guys who weren't showing up but committed the core of us, the you know, eight or nine guys who were left every night, committed to each pulling in a couple guys we knew and and making making a commitment to be there, you know, to see the game through whether we won or lost. You know, it wasn't really about trying to climb the ranks of the of the Dakota up to the up to the top three divisions. <laughs> Just icing a full a full bench. And well, hey, that's something that yeah. the Lumbercats are known for now is <laughs> is the full bench. That's it. Yeah, and uh, and it's been good since then because we've been able to find guys who are in it for the right reasons. Uh, like any good uh, uh, organization, we really pride ourselves on depth, so that if uh, you know we can't, <laughs> yeah. uh, we, if we can't get fifteen guys on the bench, at least we'll have ten. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we got a couple goaltenders at this point that that kind of split the season, which is also really uh, important. Uh, rather than trying to scramble every couple weeks for a goalie, you know, mm. one of our guys is a doctor, so his uh, his uh, shifts are all over the place and it can be hard for him to, to commit sometimes to certain games or times, but uh, with two guys uh, between the pipes to share the duties, it's, it's awesome. So, kind of a one, a one B situation. Sorry, go ahead, Randy. Yeah. I was just going to say uh, not, not to put you on the spot or anything, but you know, as, as uh, all, all of us here are, are getting up in age and, you know, still playing hockey. Um, yeah. But meanwhile, there's, there's now younger folks, coming into the beer leagues, you know, like you got those teams of the 18 year olds and the 20 year olds and, and all that, just, just, uh, you know, take me through, um, you know, some of the teams that you play against over there in Dakota, do you have your classic young bucks and then, you yeah, oh, yeah, and then you got your, your old timers and everything like what's, absolutely. what's the scene like over there? It's a, it's a Dakota in the winter is a good mix of all of that. And there's something like 15 or 16 divisions of 18. So, Quickly, the uh, the wheat is separated from the chaff, if you will, and the fucking really good guys mm-hmm. are up in the top, you know, five divisions. At one point, uh, probably the second year I played, or even maybe the first year I was with the Lumbercats, we had a uh, a goalie we had no business having, who was about eighteen years old, the quietest, nicest kid, Benny, but he'd just come out of playing junior B in the out in the stick <laughs> somewhere, and then we had a couple guys who were like had played college or something like that but yeah. were buddies with someone somehow and uh their attitudes uh you know might have been a bit uh questionable but they could you know win a game on their own kind of thing <laughs> uh so when they weren't there we could you know hang in a game just by the goaltender and somehow win one nothing by having like four or five shots on net <laughs> you know and then just letting him take the take the bulk of it but then when he moved to edmonton or wherever he moved and we kind of lost the hot shot or two and kind of, you know, settled into what we uh, settled into our true selves, if you will. Uh, quickly, <laughs> we dropped, uh, you know, we've been between, let's say, Division 10 and 13 pretty comfortably since. And it's a good mix. You get some younger bucks uh, in there, but generally down at that level, uh, it's uh, they're in it for the right reasons. You know, they might have a right. lot of flash, but uh, we've got the the dad strength and the grit of having <laughs> played those yeah. 10 years and been those guys yeah. at some point. Right. Um, and then we've got gray hairs and silverbacks as well, who we can outskate them, but if they get running a passing play on us or get set up, it's, it's game over because they know where they're going to be. They know what to yeah. do and they know how to, 
they can pick out our weakness pretty quick because they've been they've been us 10 or 20 years ago right so yeah it's a really good mix in the winter uh spring which we've played and i know we've played uh, yeah i've played in that league in the spring with a different it's a team. little bit uh it's not as fun <laughs> good to get out and cross paths with you know guys who are on the same level but you get uh, a lot more hot shots in the spring oh, which i yeah. guess that's yeah. just uh, just the way she goes again but uh, exactly if you can you know if you can get a rise out of those guys and not lose 10-1 it's it's an okay time often with uh, the spring league team i played in in that league the, the stink birds if we mm-hmm. scored a goal or two we were counting it as a victory yeah and uh yeah if i didn't if if I didn't end up in the box at some point is yeah. for you know I I was I I found it uh, easy to get our eyes out of the young fellas there. Oh, no, totally. And and, and I think uh, the took, spring league uh, is a bit of a magnet for people that might take it a bit too seriously in some yeah, cases. But definitely, uh, there's, still, there's still the people there who are in. A yeah, good range. times. Yeah. Very um, nice. Actually, and Sheldon, just tell us a bit about um, the, your hockey beginnings. Like. Yeah. When did, when did yeah. you start playing hockey? What, like at what age did you go up to? Uh, you know, a lot of guys our age, you know, we kind of all quit playing hockey for a while and then got into beer league. Like just, just yeah. take us through, take us through for your sure. years of hockey. Yeah. Uh, you kind of have hit on it right there. And I, I just listened to your episode with Dave Bedini uh, from a couple of weeks back just the other day. And uh, uh, you know, his story is very similar to mine where I played house league as a kid. Uh, I didn't start till I was about eight years old, though. Uh, I was born in Victoria, BC, uh, and our family moved up to Dawson Creek, which is in uh, northern British Columbia when I was seven. Um, had never played hockey, could barely skate at that point. Um, and a little more wintry up in northern BC than yeah, yeah. over I on the island, I played soccer as a, a little kid, and, you know, the only time I can remember seeing hockey on the TV uh, you know, might have been once or twice, some hockey night in Canada. My dad was uh, a hockey player growing up. Uh, won a provincial championship with Nipawa, played for Brandon University, played his whole life till he had a new hip, so played till about 65 years old. But he never was one to kind of push it, you know. It was, mm. uh, uh, but when I arrived in Dawson Creek, suddenly, uh, you know, it takes a while to make some new friends. And then all of a sudden, uh, hockey season starts, and every weekend I uh, can't play with these guys because they're playing hockey. And uh, over the course of the winter and school year, learning about hockey, getting into hockey cards, and watching I think the Pittsburgh Penguins win the Stanley Cup that year all of a sudden kind of got me wanting to play I think my dad would probably have been uh very reluctant to uh (laughs) to sign me up at first because he saw how poorly I took to soccer and uh sports generally um (laughs) but was you know whatever you want to try it let's go to the the swap and shop in the end of summer and get you some used gear and get you some skating lessons at the end of August and see how you do and uh, it was, uh, ever since then, I, I probably played till grade 11 or so. Um, and then quit for, you know, I think the reasons that, uh, Dave mentioned, it might be, might be pretty similar to some folks who listen to the podcast, uh, you know, got into, uh, punk rock and smoking weed instead of, uh, jock jams and fucking Pilsner beer or whatever it was, uh, yeah. with the dudes I grew up with. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, the late nineties at that point. So rock'em sock'em. Eric Lindros, you know, big yeah. tough guys who can, you know, pummel, pummel yeah. people where it was the, the name of the game and anyone else was a, you know, a sissy or a pussy or something like that. Uh, yeah. Took a few, you know, big hits uh, in the last couple of years I played 
where I'm like, you know, I'm 150 pounds wet now. And I was as tall as I am now in grade 10 and probably 120 pounds playing against guys from mining towns like Tumblr Ridge or uh, small towns in Alberta, like Sexsmith or Hythe or Beaver Lodge, who are farm boys, big, tough oil and gas farm boys <laughs> and just getting destroyed regularly. And, you know, it was, it turned out that it's like, well, I still like playing hockey, but this is, this is kind of, this is a bit much for me when I can go get high with my buddies and yeah. goof around instead on the weekend yeah. listen to punk rock records or listen to punk rock, yeah. yeah so it wasn't until yeah. i moved to winnipeg that i kind of got back into it uh when i moved to winnipeg would have been 2006 the next year i moved downtown so i was near the assiniboine river and you know quickly realized i could skate everywhere so bought a pair of skates i think i'd sold a lot of my hockey gear uh as a teenager as in my early 20s to buy booze or drugs or whatever it was at that point or, or just pay bills uh, I'm not sure uh, and then quickly got back into just skating all the time and how much fun it was just to move on the ice and you know picked up a stick from Canadian Tire a 50-30 or something like that and nice. uh, probably a year after that my dad got his hip replaced and so gave me all his old hockey equipment because he couldn't use it anymore and then about a year or so after that the chance to uh to join up with these guys on the Lumbercats came about. You got, you have gear, right, Sheldon? You used to play hockey. Well, kind of, well, sure. Let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's give it a go. And, and yeah. uh, just obviously loved it. So here we are. That's right awesome. On. So you, you mentioned hockey cards. Um, were they a big part of your sort of getting into hockey? Big and a bit, bit of a loaded question here too. Do you still have hockey cards? And I heard a bit of a story about, uh, the most recent apocalypse was, which wasn't this year, obviously with COVID, but the previous yeah. year. And I heard a bit of a story because you were on the uh, cup winning team at Apocalypse. That's, that's and correct. And there might, do you want to tell us uh, maybe how you rallied the troops with, with hockey cards? I could, uh, yeah. Uh, I never got rid of my hockey cards. I just like, they were in a box yeah. in my parents' basement. Uh, and I mean, I had all the, you know, 90, early nineties, upper deck and pro the gold, set, uh, score, uh, all the, all that, you know, boom time stuff. Yeah. But I also benefited from my mom had inherited, uh, a bunch of like classic sports memorabilia stuff from her first husband who had died. Like when she, she was married in her twenties to a guy who collected stuff like that and then he died and so she had all the stuff in a box kicking around and when uh when i started getting into it and you know didn't just drop it a, a year later when i kind of you know spent some time pursuing it and getting into the beckett guides and all that kind of <laughs> jazz uh she's you know unloaded some of that stuff on me so i have all these you know great uh not necessarily great condition but great from uh you know this is cool stuff uh, yeah. uh perspective you know, 1960s Parkhurst and, and wow. tops and stuff nice. like that, Gordy Howes. And so things that to me are, are very cool. So I, you know, never got rid of that stuff. Uh, and at the same time, I think my parents dumped my dad's hockey gear. They also dumped a box or two of just my crap that was still left in their basement up in Dawson Creek, I guess, when they were moving <laughs> uh, south when they retired. And so all of a sudden I had, you know, thousands of these 90 <laughs> hockey cards that are worth nothing but yeah. are fun Super to uh, cool. have, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for well, once I had all that stuff, you know, I think it must've been one of the first years with the Lumbercats when the, you know, there was only seven or eight of us showing up in a way to kind of pump everyone up and to 
you know, put some spirit into, into the game was to show up with a pocket full of hockey cards and hand them out before the game and try to draw some inspiration from, okay, you know, Andrew, I'm going to need you to act like Brett Hall today. We need a couple <laughs> goals or like Krenzi, you know, Adam Oates this day or, you know, whatever, like just to, again, I, you know, give us a little bit of spirit to the boys and a little pep. Uh, and it just never stopped because I have so many of these friggin' cards, uh, which kind of spiraled as, you know, these guys I play with, uh, their parents were doing the same. So they don't really want a binder or two full of cards. They just give it to me to then recycle to the other yeah. guys or whatnot. Uh, so it's just become a thing that I like to do. It allows me something uh, to do to dig through these old cards rather than just have them gathering mold or, or whatnot in the basement. Uh, and so last two years ago when the, the uh, Apocalypse Now tourney came about, it was the first year I'd got a chance to take part in it because generally uh, our Riverview 4-on-4, which is our neighborhood outdoor tourney, uh, takes place either the same weekend or a weekend before. And I believe it. Just, yeah. Just weekend before. Yeah. Just or often. In, in years prior, hadn't really been able to sell the case of playing uh, two outdoor <laughs> tournaments in a row and all the drinking that would go along with that and, and whatnot. But the, the last year, uh, 2019, just made a commitment to do both. And as a result, had to bring the cards. Happened to also be National Hockey Card Day that day, if I'm not mistaken, which I took as a, a sign from a above sign, that yeah. I might not know anyone on the team, but I'm going to show up with these beauty cards and hand them out and uh it sparked something and it worked and we won so it's probably yeah. the hockey cards that did it right I, so, I you gotta think so yes <laughs> don't don't mention don't say what i'm about to show you but this is this is basically completely related to what sheldon was talking about and this is for a future episode of talking hockey oh yeah oh <laughs> love it oh. Love that series. <laughs> so don't tell the yeah. listeners what you just no, showed no, me. No, no, okay. I, I found it for fifteen dollars, but I just wanted to see what your reactions was going to be. <laughs> in, I am in, uh, uh, through my work, which is like a community journalist, so writing stories about you know little shops or, or whatever in Northeast Winnipeg. There's a card shop uh, in Elmwood called Lower Level Sports. Yeah, uh, interviewed the guy just about his business once, and he's a character, Mike, who runs the place. Uh, so I've since gone in, and you know, we'll be like, I've got twenty bucks. Like, what sort of low series or whatever can you give me like a couple hundred i'll go through keep the ones i like bring back the ones i don't so we've been able to do that over the years to kind of replenish my stock oh uh, that's pretty fun mix that's, it up that's for the where boys, this is so from. it's not just that's where it's from lower yeah. level yeah yeah oh. Mike's a beauty. he'll you know he'll hook it up for uh for people who are looking because he's a guy who just loves the hobby you know he's he does yeah he'll make the sales for the big you know sought after cards but he also just loves the hobby so much it's yeah he's a beauty yeah that's that's amazing so before um, we go any further, actually, Sheldon, we gotta we gotta get into the book talk here. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, right. We're, we're we're moving. We're uh, kind of more it. than halfway through. Yeah. So, so we, um, little talking hockey, the hockey talk show book club. So yeah, Sheldon, um, <laughs> this is this is like a, a a segment that we've kind of touched on in the past, but uh, you know, having a real writer, a real author here in our presence. Let, let's let's uh you know what do you bring into the party here you 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 know you got almost like your desert island hockey books you're gonna go to right. a desert d yeah. deserted island and what what books are you gonna bring with you this is uh uh something i uh, have put thought into outside of this opportunity to speak on your podcast because i love <laughs> i love hockey books right uh yeah dave bedini on a couple weeks ago uh i love the writing he's done uh, about hockey uh, in the nonfiction realm. He does have a few 
a book of short stories that are kind of like raunchy, sexy uh, short stories uh, that I, I five hole stories. Oh, the, the five hole him. one. I've yeah. heard of that. I've I haven't read it yet, so I can't get, I can't comment on it yet. Uh, but his, his nonfiction is great. Uh, Tropic of Hockey, which you, you guys mentioned briefly in the, in the accompanying film uh, on the episode with him is, is fantastic because it really gets at the heart of, of the game, right? It's not about the millionaires and the billionaires who own the millionaires, uh, it's, which I love. Don't get me wrong. I love the, the, the NHL stories uh, that you get from reading the endless stream of, uh, of former pros, autobiographies, yeah. which are, you know, I, I enjoy those. I've read plenty of those. Uh, but uh, Tropic of Hockey really gets at like the love of the game and how people are finding ways to play it. Uh, I've got a buddy who has lived in a, a few different, uh, lived in the Middle East, lived in Asia and still finds the Canadians and Americans and locals who, who play hockey and has, has played all over the world as well. A buddy who uh, from Winnipeg, who's been living in Australia for over a decade and is an Australian citizens now and plays in, well, I can't remember what town he lives in, but the men's league out of there, the, the premier men's league of Australia. <laughs> and it's just awesome to see that, 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 that people do that and the lengths people will go to, to hockey. So Tropic of Hockey is up there for me uh, in the nonfiction realm. But I also love his book, uh, The Best Game You Can Name, where he talks a lot about his beer league team, the Morning Stars, and interviews kind of, you know, journeymen, fourth line, guys who are up and down from the minors to the majors, just about like their journey and what kept them going in the face of, you know, kind of long odds and bus rides and, you know, uh, the uncertainty of, of playing and kind of ties those two stories together. I, I like, I'd probably say that's my favorite of his hockey books, even though Tropic of Hockey is such a, such a I great like book. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, I just love the, the kind of grittier uh, 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 angle that uh, the best game you can name takes. Uh, and it's harder to find too. It might not, I don't know what the print run on it was or, or anything, but I haven't found a used copy of it. Uh, uh, my wife's husband owns Burton Lysecki books, which is uh, in South Osborne. So I, I peruse his stacks quite often and I've yet to come across a used copy where Tropic of Hockey comes, comes and goes now and then. Um, <laughs> So that's, uh, uh, that's among the, my top nonfiction. Uh, but I'd have to say too, the, the, probably the best book about that I've read, or in my opinion, on the professional game would be uh, Peter Zowski's uh, mm. The Game of Our Lives, you know, following the early Edmonton Oilers the year before they won their first cup, kind of, you know, getting in with them. He's practicing with them. He's hanging out there. He's got probably the best author bio photo that I know of of him uh in oilers <laughs> gear there on the yes. ice hockey card style nice. you know it's that great book? it's great and i mean zowski's you know a canadian legend in another oh, in yeah. uh in you know his own right Absolutely. Uh, so that uh, that book uh, and his, his writing's beautiful and it's just a really connects with that early 80s that time of, of hockey yep. when gretzky was just kind of coming into his own as as the great one and all that messier yeah. the curry all these other guys who are in the mix as well paul coffee they're all just uh, kids at that point. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it really captures captures that, and also uh, the greater uh, you know appeal of hockey, how it was spreading just beyond kind of you know the the kind of uh, traditional markets at that point because of Gretzky and and the kind of uh, uh, aura that he had. I also like Stephen Brunt's you know Gretzky's tears and in search of searching for Bobby Orr. Those are those are good as well. But Zelski's I think is is the top uh, as far as as far as the pro books go. And so have you read a few biographies? Cause like one, one that sticks out for me is like, I remember getting the Eric Lindros one, Yeah. Uh, you know, like the fire on ice yeah. or whatever it was called. Yeah. But like, well, uh, you know, like there's some, I don't know, there's, 
Sometimes I find like biographies, uh, actually a couple of good ones that I've read, uh, Jamie Leach, uh, Son of oh, yeah. Reggie. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty short book, but it's actually locally pu- published and it's a really <laughs> good read. And then um, <clears throat> there's another book actually by the same name. It's called Journeyman and it's by Sean Pronger. It's Chris oh, Pronger's yeah. brother. And yeah. it's, it's, it's uh, his journey of basically being a fourth liner. Mm-hmm. But like, um, what do you find when you're reading books that are like biographies? And sometimes it's like, you know, it's, it's usually the, the hockey player with a writer. Oh yeah. With the, so good, the, with, the with the writer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the voice, like sometimes the voice you can conversational, but yeah. also you, the voice is like, not them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it doesn't feel it's, like it's a uh, hockey it player. To, speaks to the skill of the ghostwriter uh, in being a, and the amount of interviews they did with them, how much time the player might have given them uh, if they sat down and got them talking. And, you know, Theo Fleury's book is a great example of that, mm. where clearly he was, you know, pouring his soul out to, and uh, uh, the writer's name escapes me who he worked with, but she, uh, uh, you know, fantastic uh, in, in her own right. Uh, so that book is, is a great example of that. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, the best book by a hockey player, I think it's, it's the game. It's uh, Ken Dryden, you know, who's a yeah. lawyer and a member of parliament wrote it himself without, without any help. Uh, uh, that's probably the best kind of autobiography that, uh, that I can it's think of book. off the top of my head for sure. Uh, his latest game change, which, uh, uh, you know, deals with, uh, concussions and CTE and that I think is, is, is really essential reading for, uh you know where the game should be going uh you know you saw the uh shifley's fucking hit uh at the end of game one uh the second round and you just think what the fuck like you know that's yeah, you just got to get that stuff out and, and dryden as a former player you know a hall of famer uh you know has a bit of weight uh to to, to those arguments but i think that one's a, a great follow-up as well uh, fiction as well. I mean, I love, uh, there's not as much in, in hockey fiction in the literary world, hockey lit. Uh, but I, I'm a big fan of, of, of that as well when you can find a, a good one. And actually, King Leary, uh, what? sorry, um, have you read uh, Reb, Rebel, Rebel League by? Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah I Ed like that. Yeah, that's yeah. fun as well. Uh, uh, Rebel League, um, the, what's the, there's a writer from Winnipeg who wrote about the WHA Jets, and then he recently wrote about like the '80s Jets, uh, broken oh, uh, ribs and popcorn. The, for, uh, the former Free Press guy. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. So yeah. those are those are entertaining too. I, I mean, I, I've got a lot of time for for that yeah. kind of story as well. I like when uh, when uh, a book t- takes a look at a specific, either a specific team or era or a specific season of a team. That kind of format for me, uh, especially when it comes from a journalistic kind of. Um, from a journalist who is either there or has just done all the research. Like I've got a lot of time for, for those, those kind of books. It, for is my, there, oh, sorry, Tom. I was just going to say for myself, I think my favorite type of hockey book is like the nonfiction, like mm-hmm. by like stat, it's got stats, it's got, yeah, yeah. you know, stories. And I've got a couple that are like hockey Atlas of Canada or right. like, you know, various things like that. Basically the, the, uh, I don't know what they're really called, but they're like the just a nonfiction like compilation of yeah, um, yeah. on a theme or something like that, you know. And I always always like those. And like I have I have a whole shelf of them over there. But um, I will just say uh, for the listeners, uh, my 
Zoom call has frozen. I've got you guys' audio, but I don't, mm. I'm not getting any visual cues right okay. now. Okay. Well, I just, I'm just doing some really sweet dangles over here. So, okay. uh-huh. <laughs> so Sheldon, I got to ask actually, so, you know, you've got a few bo- books published of your own. Um, is there, is there a hockey uh, release in, in your future? Maybe not, I mean, not, maybe not soon, but sometime. I hope so. I've been working on a novel, a hockey novel for what seems like forever uh, at the point now where I'm trying to sell it, trying to find someone to, to pick it up. Um, we'll see if that happens, but uh, you know, there is a tradition of, of hockey literature and fiction uh, that I really enjoy. I just don't know. Maybe it doesn't sell a lot. And so maybe, <laughs> maybe Canadian publishers are weary of it. I, I'm hoping I can find a, a small publisher who believes in the story as I do, or, or maybe even an American publisher in kind of the indie lit scene that is going to take a chance on a, on a fucking, you know, hoser from Winnipeg and this weird hockey story. <laughs> that thought. Uh, but I mean, there's a, there's a great tradition. Uh, um, Bedini uh, mentioned uh, just in passing uh, uh, Paul Corrington's King Leary, which is one of the funniest novels you can read period, but it's uh, a great hockey novel as well with uh, you can read it on just on the surface level as a, as a really ripping yarn, but uh, tons of uh, oblique and direct and, and kind of uh, uh, metaphorical references to hockey history throughout that. But it's just, it's a hilarious read uh, uh, bottom line. Uh, so for me, that's kind of the, uh, the pinnacle for, for, uh, for hockey literature, but there's a lot of other great stuff out there. A guy by the name of Brian Fawcett wrote a novel called The Last of the Lumbermen about five years ago about a kind of washed up junior player who kind of tries to go back to his hometown of in northern BC, kind of a fake Quinell, uh, Prince George sort of town. And right. it's great. Uh, I quite enjoyed it. I haven't seen a lot of people pumping its tires out there, but if you can track it down at the library, it's well worth the read. What do you, what do you make of um, books for either young readers or kids like um for myself i think my favorite books growing up were scrubs on skates skates, leaf camp and uh, what's the other one uh boy on defense was the boy on defense right and uh yeah dave spunska if i'm not mistaken was i believe you're right yeah (laughs) and and i i didn't know for the longest time i think i i i think it was until i moved to winnipeg that i realized the author Scott Young was Neil Young's dad. Neil Young's dad. My yeah. dad read those books to me as a child. Yeah. And uh, I also mm-hmm. loved them. They were the 80s revamp where the story was exactly the same, but they changed the references. So it doesn't exactly make sense uh, <laughs> for like, uh, you know, the, all these other references to like stuff that's clearly in the 50s or early 60s. And then all of a sudden it's like Gretzky and like Coffee <laughs> instead of fucking, I don't know, Bobby Hull or whoever Gordy Howe yeah. they were talking about. But those books are great. And uh, they follow the, like the, the arc of all like sports stories for kids, right? Like yeah. Pete Gord and the uh, hot shot from fucking River <laughs> Heights or Wolseley, or I guess it's Wolseley that he's in. He's in the, the great team, a uh, place for Gordon Bell, which at that time, I guess, was a really great school. Uh, but then uh, there's a new school in the alignment. So he's in with all the misfits and the outcasts and, Oh, there's this guy on defense who can't even skate down oh, this Ukrainian immigrant yeah. <laughs> who can barely move his feet. Oh, I can't believe I got, you know, but then he like overcomes, uh, you know, himself and adversity and learns some life lessons. And in the end, he's got to play his old team, you know, Oh God. But, uh, it's fant- fantastic. Uh, and Scott Young is a great writer as well. Um, the whole trilogy is, is worth reading also hard to find now. 
Yeah, uh, I loved those books. And I, yeah, I had I had a nice little uh, box set of them. You know, I had the same one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and the artwork from those um, book covers. Uh, I don't know if you've been to the curling rink um, in the uh, West End on. Um, oh man, what is that curling rink called? It's right by the sort of shoppers, drug mart, and whatnot. There, mm-hmm. um, anyway. In the lounge upstairs, they've got some paintings on the wall. One of them is, without a doubt, the same artist who huh. did, and it's a hockey yeah, yeah. sort of drawing or painting. Um, it's the same artist who did the covers of those yeah. books, for sure. Right on. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love those books as a kid. Like, you know, A, my dad's reading them to me. It's Winnipeg, so I know Winnipeg. My family's from here. I can, you know, visualize uh, uh, where it's going on, which as a kid is kind of a big deal. It was so uh, foreign then, to me. Yeah, I was okay, like, yeah. I was like, oh, it sounds cold there. Yeah, <laughs> super cold. Uh, but then I reread them as an adult from the library, and it's 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 hilarious because you know you see the Mighty Ducks. It's the same story minus like Gordon Bombay as the focus, but you know, <laughs> ragtag group of kids like learn something about themselves and overcome it in the end. You know, despite ooh, a last minute like something bad happens, but then they win. It's great. Or don't yeah. win, but they win in the end because of their sportsmanship or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, can't, can't say enough about those books. And I know there's plenty of others that uh, uh, are probably more modern or maybe a bit more of a, uh, a read for younger readers today. But uh, as far Classics. as uh, the classic goes, you can't, you can't beat Scrubs on skates. Yeah. I just want to mention uh, Journeyman, the story of Jamie Leach is published by Great Plains uh, oh, Publishing yeah. here yeah. in Winnipeg. And uh, later this fall, they're they're releasing a Billy Moisienko book, so I'm cool. I'm looking forward to that one. Great uh, Plains so may, may... Uh, has an imprint of uh, kind of uh, uh, speculative fiction called uh, Enfield and Wizentry, if I'm not mistaken. They are putting out a collection. Uh, I'm going to plug myself here uh, called Alternate Plains, uh, which is prairie speculative fiction. And I've got a story in that that's coming out in that collection in the fall about a pair of haunted Bower select skates nice right on <laughs> so and so that's that, awesome where where just yeah just update us like where, where will people be able to find that and everywhere like, great okay. books are sold you know mcnally okay. robinson i'm hoping uh uh they put a the enfield wesson tree put out a book in 2018 called uh parallel prairies which was the same kind of idea but strictly manitoba authors i had a story in there about a golf pro uh kind of in a clear light golf course sort of thing who uh uh, claims he was abducted by aliens right before the big annual tournament. And was he, or what did he go on a bender? We don't know. Uh, uh, I missed that launch of that book. Um, my daughter was born the day of it. So I oh, wasn't wow. there. I'd like to take one of those events in, but it should, the book should be out in October. My story is called Bower selects and, uh, the book is called alternate planes. You could get it through McNally Robinson, uh, uh if nowhere else you can get the nice. they do delivery i believe right yeah yeah and oh, oh yeah they ship uh, everywhere curbside, curbside pickup mm-hmm. and all that stuff yeah yeah they'll, they'll ship anywhere um i gotta ask do you, do you own a pair of bauer selects or what yeah, kind of skates do you big got? time uh, i've got a pair of bauer selects 900s that go. uh are the inspiration for the story that, uh <laughs> I used inside uh, for normal hockey for a couple of years. And then in the Riverview four on four, maybe three or three years ago, uh, it was like minus 28 or nine in the yeah. daytime. And I took a, took a shot off the toe and the, uh, the took uh, on the one left side cracked from the cold. 
Yeah. Uh, and so I had to get them replaced. Uh, but at the same time, figured I I owe myself a new pair of skates. I got yeah. a bunch of points saved up on my credit card or whatever, which I did. So I got a free pair of skates from these points and got the tuck replaced on those for, I think they sold it to me for a dollar or something. Well, I played yeah. against sports because they were like, these are the only two that fit this size left in stock. These skates are like yeah. 50 years old or whatever, 40 <laughs> yeah. years old. And they seem to be haunted too. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I still, I, I use those when I'm playing out at the outdoor rink uh, or going That's out awesome. on the river or whatever and keep the other skates for inside. Beautiful. Well, Sheldon, uh, looks like we're pretty much uh, out of time here. So we're going to wrap it up, but you've, uh, so you've, you've brought us a couple tunes. We've already heard Hockey Town by um, Tim Huss. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go out on a song by the Hanson brothers. Um, do you want to uh, just tell us just a quick little bit about uh, either of those songs or both? Yeah. I mean, Tim Huss is, uh, is like a journeyman country Western singer uh, who, you know, kind of took over the mantle for Stomp and Tom and pumping out nothing but a hundred percent, 110% Canadiana. <laughs> uh, and like, I think makes a point of writing about any industry, any small town that's like specific to a region in Canada. Uh, he's got a bunch of awesome records that if you're into that sort of stuff, will float your boat. If you're not into that kind of stuff, you may shake your head, but uh, yeah. hockey, <laughs> hockey town, it hit, hit, hit all the, uh, the points for me. Um, for sure. Dawson Creek uh, where I grew up was, you know, it had more going than just hockey, but the two rinks in the center of town were the focus of, of the community and all the other little small towns uh, uh, on the way to Grand Prairie I used to play in. Uh, they were a hockey town. The rink was the center of town, you know, right there. Uh, and it was, yeah, it just hit uh, so many points for me when I first heard that tune. Uh, and I got a Tim Huss hockey town toque that I still wear oh, nice. uh, relatively regularly. I try to wear my lumber caps colors as much as possible. Yeah. Future, but uh, my son's kind of taken over the Tim Huss one a bit, which I I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, Hanson brothers, great, you know, uh, can't say enough about their little niche in, uh, in punk rock. So, and, good. Uh, uh, you know, from Victoria, BC, where I was born, if not raised. Uh, so I had to throw it out to them. And I, I love this tune. Yeah, just such a such a pump up jam to uh, to sort of go out on here. And look, my video's back. I got visual <laughs> cues, boys. Here we go. <laughs> um, yeah. So this so the song here we're going out on is the Hanson Brothers, and it is called. Sorry, I am so. Uh, you looked a lot like Tiger Williams. There it is. He looked a lot like Tiger Williams. Uh, NHL's all time penalty minutes leader. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, keep your stick on the ice. Uh, quick shifts, get pucks deep, and uh, always, always check your line. We'll see you next time. Take care now. Oh,